waste a lot of energy when we're waiting. We'll find something to do, won't we? The hardest part about waiting rooms is those ones that uh, we didn't choose. Have you ever waited for a diagnosis? Or on the other side of a diagnosis, waiting an illness, waiting for healing? Sometimes we wait in our private battles. We wait with our private sins. We wait for, in our struggle for God to, to help us, to take us out of that, out of our vice. Others, we, we, we're waiting in hope that the anxiety we face daily won't always be a reality. Others of us waiting for the depression to lift so life can be full color. Life is full of, of waiting rooms, waiting in hopes of marriage or a house or a change in our lives waiting in your job while you see others move up or move on to other opportunities, uh, stuck in a stagnant place in life and waiting for purpose, uh, waiting for direction. Some of us waiting for, for love, waiting for real love, waiting who knows how long for, for your dad to reconcile or your son to, to come back to you or your daughter to forgive herself and be herself or your, your mom to forgive you, waiting in this space between where you are and the, and the child that you hope to someday hold. I mean, we, we wait. The more you begin to look at waiting rooms, the more you begin to see that life is just full of waiting. At every step, each of us is waiting somewhere, and it's the space between where we are and what we hope someday. We all have waiting rooms. The Bible is full of accounts of people like you and me. And because they're like you and me, they're waiting as well. I mean, Moses, he, he leads the Hebrews out of uh, slavery, but it, it was, he was 40 years in a dead-end job as a shepherd just waiting. We have David, he's anointed king, and he has to wait 32 years to see the fulfillment. And the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament waits for a Messiah. And then he comes. He, he dies, he rises again. And what's the last thing he tells his disciples? Go. Okay, I can do that. And Wait. It's just full of waiting. Waiting rooms are the worst. And here we are in Genesis. We are, if you're just joining us, we are working our way through the book of Genesis to see what God is revealing through it to us. And today we get to a waiting room. If you've been with us in the past weeks, uh, you, we just heard that Abram, who will be renamed Abraham, Abram gets an amazing promise from God. To review that quickly, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, leave your relatives, your father's family and household, and strike out, go to a land I'll show you. You don't know where, but I'll tell you when. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous. I'll give you a great name. You'll be a blessing to others, Abram. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. All this is, and this is the messianic prophecy about Jesus. All families of earth will be blessed through you, through your line. I mean, God promises him all these things. Great nation, great lands, sons, descendants. I mean, to have descendants, you have to have children. Now, Abraham, when he receives that blessing, he's 75 already. His wife, is in, she's in her 70s, and she's barren. She can't, they have no children. They have no medical intervention. All they have is this promise from God that someday these things will happen. And here's what's so awesome. Guess what happens? This is amazing. Guess what happens? Nothing. Like 10 years goes by. Nothing happens. No pregnancies. No sons, no daughters, no babies. No, just 10 years. Waiting. See, they get waiting. And waiting rooms are the worst, aren't they? 
In Genesis 15, God comes back to Abram. But this time, Abram decides he wants to discuss the matter a little bit further. So Abram, here we go, Genesis 15. Sometime later, what does that mean? Waiting. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said, Hey, don't be afraid, Abram. I will protect you, I'll reward, and your reward will be great. But Abraham's not having it. He goes, what? God, sovereign Lord, what good is all your blessing when I don't even have a son? You see, since I have no children, everything I have, every blessing, you, let's, let's say, God, you give me everything, it's going to go to Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household. He will inherit everything. That, everything you're talking about goes, goes to my servants. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. No children, no heirs, no lineage. And God said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, will not be your heir for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. God gets specific with Abram and how he's going to bless him. You won't just be a great nation with great lands and descendants. I'm going to give you a son, your very own son. He took Abram outside and said to him, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And this is, this is the stuff that only God can do. God comes along and gives a blessing, but then he says, you know what, because I'm God, the, the redemption in your life, the blessing in your life, I'm going to multiply it. It will be greater than anything that you could have planned on your own. If you plan something and God's going to bring you redemption, he's going to blow that out of the water. You'll have a son, but your descendants will be as vast as the stars. And, and remember, God said all this to an old man with an elderly wife who was barren. God speaks this 10 years after he spoke it previously. What we see in Abram and Sarai's life is that they were given this promise from God. The promise that someday things are going to be amazing. The future is so bright they struggle like we did because the present is cloudy. Old age, barren, unable to have children. A future more bright than you can imagine, more bright. I mean, the stars, the sky, the future is out there. And the present, the present continues to whisper or scream or tell you, yeah, that's impossible. And that's where we are sometimes as God gives us these promises or, or these miracles that are going to happen in our life, but our present says, not happening. Not happening. It's impossible. Abram and Sarai were right there with us. You see, when God promises the impossible, when he promises the impossible, what we should do is wait for him to work. Why? Because only God can work in the realm of the impossible. Only God. When we bring our work into the possibility... Like when I do my best and bring it to the realm of the impossible, I'm bringing possible. My greatest efforts are all in what I can do. It's all in the realm of possibility. So when God pro promises impossibility and I bring my greatest efforts, it's a significant downgrade of results. You see, we can't work in the realm of impossibility. Let me put it this way. God works in the supernatural. We work in the natural. There are things that God promises us that require the supernatural. And no amount of my natural striving and working is going to accomplish God's purposes and miracles. 
Now, he will work through us, but it's still God's supernatural working, not our striving. Salvation is a great example of this. Salvation through Jesus is an absolute supernatural work of God. There is nothing you can do to make it possible for yourself. You can't strive. You can't work. You can't do anything to bring about salvation. God had to do the work because it's a supernatural thing, and Jesus did all the work on the cross for you. All we bring to the table is faith. You see, religion is humanity trying to bring their natural working to produce a supernatural result, and it never will. When God calls you to the impossible, you, the best you can do is wait in faith, knowing that he will bring about his promises. My work is not what is needed. Abram has promised the supernatural miracle of a son. At 85 years old, with a wife who's, who's almost as old as he is, let me just ask you this. If they even try their hardest in the natural, what's the greatest they can accomplish? You tell an 85-year-old man and woman, like, you're going to have a son. Well, let's, let's get to work on this on our own. See what we can really do. Well, here's the thing. They're like us. They're just like us. So they try to help God with this miracle. They get impatient. They want it now. They want to see if they can help God. Because God's timeline is, is, is taking longer than they wanted. I know none of us deal with this. But, but they were dealing with, God, you're not coming through how I want, when I want, but oh, Lord, I need you. I got an idea. Huh. See, they're going to work their hardest in the possible, in the natural, to produce something supernatural and possible. And Orchard, whenever we do this, it will not go well for us. Whenever. Whenever, when we are asked to wait in faith, but instead we try to help God by working so hard in the natural, it never gives us the result. It never takes us where we want. So let's turn to Genesis 16 and see what they do. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. Oh, you can, you can just see the bad decisions being put into place. Like, ooh, I can see like this week on Jerry Springer. You know, like they're, they're putting the players in place. I've seen this episode. I know what's going to have to happen. Sarai wants to help God a little bit because this impossible supernatural promise. I'm going to help him out. Verse 2, so Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Our worst ideas, <laughs> our worst ideas happen when we try to work the possible into God's impossible. And they seem good, don't they? Oh, man, this is just brilliant. <laughs> and, and we all do, like, we look at Sarah and go, oh, 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 Sarah. We all do this. Oh, I got a great plan. I've been working on this. You know what I'm saying? She's the Abraham. I've been thinking, Abraham, you, you should marry and sleep with my servant. Like, just to let you know, you can underline that. This is a bad idea. This is not a good idea. This is the very type of brilliant plan we come up with when we get impatient with God. I see the promise, but God's having a little hard time getting there. Like, I think he needs me to help him along. And I can, I can, I can just see I can connect some dots quicker and do a little We'll end around and bada bing, we're there. And it's been 10 years. When God promises the impossible, he must work the miracle for the results. 
When we try to work in the possible, we don't create miracles, we create messes. We have mistakes, we have messes when we're trying to work God's miracles for him. You see, do you want a miracle? Then wait for the miracle worker. You want a mess? Then start working on the miracle yourself. Our greatest efforts to help God only create more mess for ourselves. There's always consequences. And some consequences of this last for a season and some last for a lifetime. But that's where they are. Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Now go sleep with my servant. Now, Abram, the father of faith, surely, what would he say to this? Like, there's a, I'm always wondering how long the pause is between that one and the next verse. Was it like a few weeks? Was he like weighing the options? Um, he's like, oh, that, that can't be good, you know. But let's see what he said. Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. I concur. That's a brilliant idea. I mean, it's been 10 years. Nothing's happened. I can see where she's going with this. I mean, there's a whole sermon in, in, in all of that, okay? Uh, he agreed with it. Uh, so Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. There's no way this can go wrong. This is obviously, they have thought this out. This is a brilliant plan. They're going to help God. They're going to speed it up. But, I mean, this is, this is how it goes. So Abram lay with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. She was angry that she had been put in this situation. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is your fault. <laughs> this is your fault. I put my servant in your arms, and now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong. You or me. <laughs> I love it. And honestly, I'm, I'm shocked and chagrined. I did not see this coming. I thought this would work out. And, and, and here's the deal. We can laugh, but, but how often do we do the exact same thing? Different situations, different brilliant ideas. But how often do we try to help God because we're, we're impatient? We may trust God, but we don't trust his timing. We're tired of waiting. So I'm gonna, I have this idea. I'm going to go work this miracle. I'm going to go help God along. And when a mess happens, I'm going to start blaming everybody except for myself. We do the exact same thing. We blame. It's all your fault. We say to our relationships or the people around us that, that failed us, now, Abram, he's not going to take this kind of abuse. He's innocent, just like Sarai. They're all innocent. Abraham replied, look, she's your servant. You deal with her as you see fit. Listen, she's not my servant. I didn't give her in marriage. This wasn't even my idea. I'm an innocent bystander. This is Adam and Eve all over again. They sin, and what do they start doing? Just start pointing fingers, you know? No one's guilty here. Abram blames Sarai. Sarai blames Abram, and then they, Sarai turns and blames Hagar. It says this, then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she ran away. This servant who was given in marriage, she's now pregnant, treated so harshly she runs away. And our next sermon in Genesis is going to be about Hagar because she's put in a terrible circumstance. She is part of the mess of someone else's decisions, but I, I want you to see how God treats her. It's important to see how God treats those of us who are in terrible circumstances, who feel alone in some things. But that's a future week. This week we're looking at Abram and Sarai who are trying to help God with a miracle. Hagar runs away. God pursues her and speaks to her about her son. More on this again in a future week. But he says this, you're now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You're going to name him Ishmael. A son's going to be born. Like they have, they've, they've helped it along, Right? 
This is what they wanted. His name is Ishmael. Uh, and a side note, this is one of only a very few biblical babies who are named in the womb and named by God. There's something about Ishmael. In this account, God makes it very clear, though. He makes it very clear that Ishmael is not the covenant son that his promise will go through. He makes that clear. And we're going to meet someone in the future called Isaac, who's Abram's son. And that's the one that that God's promise and blessing will go through. He makes it clear that that Ishmael is not the one. But it's it's fascinating that Ishmael ends up being a mighty nation as well. In fact, he has 12 sons, which are 12 tribes, just like Abram's future son. And the descendants of Ishmael are still alive today. Ishmael, God goes on to tell us in Genesis, it says that he'll be a wild man. And that his generations will raise their fists against each other and they will be at war with their own tribes and at war with others. These tribes of Ishmael, and there's been a lot of work done by others, extensive work to trace them. Ishmael is the father of modern Arab tribes. In fact, in Islam, in Islam, they believe Abraham to be the father of their nation, but that Ishmael is the line of blessing. That Ishmael is the son of blessing. From Ishmael come the tribes of Islam. Muhammad wrote the Quran in 630, by 632 AD. 500 years before that, we find these papyruses of the book of John. And 800 years before that, we find some old Torah, New Testament, Old Testament. And it, but here in the, in the Quran, we find all this writing about, about Ishmael and the blessing that goes into him. Now in Genesis, we see that it's, it's, a, different, it's a different son. It's Isaac. And right there, Ishmael and Isaac, that is the source of so much conflict we have seen in our world for generations. And right here in Genesis, it says that there will be conflict, that they'll be raising of fists against each other. We discover here in the, in the, in the coming weeks um, more and more what it looks like when Abraham and Sarai, the, 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 the echoing repercussions of what they, de- they decided here, their best efforts create conflict between their own children and generations for, and descendants for generations. Ishmael, the father of the 12 tribes of Islam, and Isaac, the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. In this one chapter of Genesis, this one section, we see the headwaters of that very thing. Abram was promised something impossible from God, and all he had to do was wait in faith for it. That's, that, was his, that was what he was to do. But he got an impatient And he began to put his best natural efforts into it to help God. Abram may have trusted God, but it seems that he did not trust God's timing. Abram was told to wait, and he decided instead to work. He was supposed to wait for the impossible, but he chose to work for the impossible. And that never works out the way we want it to. The question today is, this is the question for you, where are you impatient for God to work that miracle or that promise in your life? Where is it you might say, I trust God, but I'm not trusting his timing? See, Orchard, when you no longer expect God to come through for you, that's when you step out and start coming through for yourself. When we have given up on God working some things on our behalf, we begin to work on our behalf with our best human natural efforts. And again, the only problem is God works in the realm of the impossible. The supernatural, we do not. So when we try to step into his realm and work the impossible, it will be way below his standard. So what is it? What is it you're waiting on God for today? What is it? 
in a room this size, there are waiting rooms all throughout there. Everyone on tracking with us through video or online or podcast, every one of us has a waiting room somewhere where we've been waiting for God. Either he's promised something or, or we need a miracle and God, I need you to come through. I need you to come through here. I have been waiting for, for years, decades. I've been waiting longer than I can even count. It is excruciating in my loneliness or my vice or whatever it would be. I'm waiting. And where are you? What are some of the desires of your heart that, that, that God seems slow in fulfilling? What are some promises that you long for that he just seems to be delaying on? What are some miracles that you need from God that, that just don't even seem to be on the horizon? I mean, the waiting rooms are the worst, aren't they? They're just the worst. And in that waiting room, our faith is put to the fire. And our perseverance gets weathered. And for many of us, me included, in many parts of our life, we do what Abram and Sarai did. We get brilliant ideas to help speed things up. I'm too lonely to wait. I'm just going to go force something. I just get more injured or wounded through the process. What brilliant ideas do we, we try to speed the promise and the miracle up? Let's, let's call it what it is. It's a lack of trust in God's timing. It's a lack of faith in his true goodness. You see, we've created some messes for ourselves. As I was driving in this morning, I, I just got the sense from God. And he was saying, listen... One thing we need to know is, yes, we've all created messes. We create mistakes and messes in our life. But God doesn't just go, well, good luck with that one. I'm out. I had miracles. You messed it up. No, 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 no. And what we're going to see here with Hagar, what we're going to see here is that, is that it, and all throughout the Bible, is that even when we choose the mess over the miracle, God is with us. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't sit there and go, there he is again. He's messing it up. Like a loving father. He's there with you. When we create mess, he's in it with us. Today, for some of us, it's time to just take some ownership. We've been like Sarai or Abraham. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's their fault. It's my ex's fault. It's their, it's everyone's fault. It's, my, it's mine. I've been creating messes by trying to speed up miracles because I don't trust God's promises. I don't trust his timing. It's time to confess. I see where I've messed up. Take 100% responsibility for what, you, for what you've done. And God is faithful and just to forgive you and to be there with you in it. And his promises are still available. Today, there are many here who are in waiting rooms. In, in a room this size, and those joining us, there are innumerable different waiting rooms where each of you are waiting for something. Oh God, I need you. You're stuck between what you desire most in life and where you are. And that distance is the waiting room. I wanna encourage you today to take faith to reaffirm this morning your faith in God's goodness. I wanna, I wanna encourage you this morning that even if things have been delayed and delayed and it's another setback, to this morning reaffirm 
God, I have faith in you and your promise. I have faith in your miracle. I have faith that you're working the impossible in me and through me in a way I can't. Don't give up. Don't give up on God and his timing. Jesus even said, he said, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. In hindsight, you will. And I have to admit, in my life, there was a time where I was broken and lonely and discarded. I had promises from when I was younger that just got destroyed, and I saw no way to access the life that God had for me. And I look back now, my wife and my kids and the life I have now, up being a pastor, the purpose God has given me, and I see God's hand all through it. I was so tired and disappointed at times that I would never see the fruition of blessings I see now. And there are places in your life when you look back, you can say, I remember the loneliness. I remember the impatience. I remember how hard it was. And I can see now some of the way God has moved that. We're going to see that again. As you look back and see that God is moving on your behalf, in your life. There were countless times in my, in, in my past when I was lonely and, and purposeless and just broken where I wanted to, to, to just force something, force some relationship, force some job, anything, just short circuit and get to some promises or at least some small ones that would just feel better than the waiting room. And through it all, God just kept whispering a verse to me. You might write this down. Exodus 14, 14. I will fight for you. You need only to wait. Another translation says, I will fight for you. You need only to be still. See, there's some battles in your life you aren't supposed to fight. God's going to fight for you. God's going to work for you. So I waited, and God brought me my wife, and then the kids were impossible for us at, some, at one point, and then God in his graciousness brought us a son and a daughter. And in fact, I even remember, as I was thinking this through, I remember my last day at the orchard. So now it makes sense. At the time, it was just excruciating. It was over five years ago. I wasn't lead pastor. I, I wanted to be. I'd, I'd, I, my journal was full of God's promises to me that, that I, I would someday, but um, it was taking a long time, and it was... It was harder than I thought. And then we had this big meeting between uh, my boss and some counselors, all great godly people there in that room. But I left that meeting, and it was clear to me my time at the orchard was over, the dead end. It's time to do something else. So you know what I did? I went for a run. And not because I'm a runner. Oh, no. I went for a run because of all that. I was full of so much angst and disappointment and hurt and anger. I didn't know what else to do. I just, Forrest Gump did it. I just started running. I get it now. I just started running. Now, I, I learned a couple things. One is I'm, I'm not Forrest Gump. I didn't make it across America. No one followed me. I made it outside of town, back through town, and ended up over in RVR, and I just, I ran out of angst. I didn't run out of cardio, I ran out of angst. I wasn't running on cardio. I was running on angst and, and sadness. I stopped on the sidewalk and I remember just asking God, like, what now? Like, like, you led me back here. You, you promised me. I, I don't want to leave. I don't want to start again. I'm just sitting there breathing hard, wrestling between a promise God had given me and, and this impossible situation I was facing. And then I had a brilliant idea. Ooh, I know what I'll do. 
I'll, I'll leave the orchard and I'll plant another church right here in town. That's brilliant. <laughs> so I asked him, I said, if I plant another church, will you, would you go with me? And I have this written down in my journal, his reply. He goes, if you plant, I'll go with you. Like in your mess, I'm going to be with you in your mess. But my son, if you want to pastor the orchard, you need only be patient. So I walked back to my house with that ring in my heart, in my head, and talked to my wife, being patient. Like, should I, should I work to go create something new that would get me close to the promise, or, or should I wait for the promise? What God was asking me to do was not just trust him, but trust his timing. And not go with some other plan just to, to speed it up. So I went back. I went back to that meeting. I submitted myself. And God moved in that meeting in such a way that it was, it was amazing. But on that run, I expressed my angst. I asked God, and I listened, and then I waited on what he told me. I stood back on the promise. I stood back on my faith that God is good and he has good for me. The question today is, what current waiting room are you in? What area right now in your life, right this minute, are you waiting for God that you need him to come through? You know what it is. Are you waiting in faith? Are you doubting his timing? Are you running out of patience? Has it been so long? Is it so hard? And here's the deal. If you have, if you have a brilliant plan to help him, I just would ask you to, to pause today, okay? Pause on your brilliant plan. Maybe go for a run. Go for a walk, whatever it would be. And, and speak to him and, and ask him and listen. And I think you'll hear some things on these promises. My daughter, be patient. Trust me in this. My son, be patient. I got you. You see, there's a, there's a reason the Bible talks about waiting so much. And I mean, if you do a word search, it is a Bible study. It is just full of people waiting because we wait. But when the Bible talks about waiting, it talks about it differently. It doesn't say, oh, as you wait, just maybe be the worst. Listen to what it says. Because we wait and just, it's, the, it's so hard. That's why Psalm 27, 14 says this. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave. Be courageous. Yes, wait patiently. In your waiting, it takes courage and to stand on faith. When all evidence says otherwise. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous, orchard. Be strong, my son. Be strong, my daughter. Orchard, whatever miracle you're waiting on, it can only be accomplished by the miracle-working power of a God who loves you. He's a good father. He is a good father who loves you and has good things for you. Trust him, trust his timing. And today, today stand on faith. Be courageous once again. Be courageous to wait. Be courageous to have faith. Be strong in his timing. He's the, he's the promise keeper. He's the way maker. He's the good, good father. And even when we do not see it, he is working for you, behind the scenes, in you, through you, around you, he loves you. He has good things for you. When he promises the impossible, we wait for a God to do the impossible. So where are those areas today that you need to reaffirm, I will wait upon the Lord and he will fight for me. Father, we come before you and I know in a room like this in a place people who are with us, there are so many waiting rooms of us who just, we have desires of our heart we are waiting on. We wonder why and where you are. I pray as we take communion today 
I pray your Holy Spirit would speak what I can never speak, and that's directly to the heart, and whisper to your sons and daughters that you see them, that you're with them. You know their desires. You know the promises you have. You know the miracles you have. And to hold firm and have faith. In Jesus' name, amen.